What's up and welcome to the HorrorCast, episode 129. And this is a HorrorCast drive-in episode. This is our last HorrorCast drive-in of the summer 2021. And tonight, uh, we have Revenant Vin's picks. All right. And we have a, a little theme here, and I'm going to let you, I'm going to let him tell you what that theme is. I am one of your hosts tonight, Mark Nato, and uh, I just mentioned his name. So let's bring him in. Revenant Vin, what's up? Hey, what's up, Mark? Uh, yeah, today we're going to be talking about William Castle. Um, certainly not an obscure, you know, individual in, uh, in horror history, but one that I don't think actually gets enough attention and respect, um, you know, from horror fandom at large. Uh, so we're going to be looking at three of his films, um, all, you know, all three from the sixties, uh, we're avoiding what I think are probably the two most watched of his. Um, and one of them we actually already talked about early on in the podcast. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think within the first year. And, uh, we've also talked about straight jacket. Um, just last year, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to uh, this this discussion. All right. Well, let's bring in Jessica Schmidt, the amateur destroyer. What's up? Hey guys, I'm super excited about tonight's episode. I had a lot of fun with these, so um, I can't wait to hear Vin's little intro to William Castle. Yes. Yes, William Castle, I think, gets uh, pigeonholed a lot because he did a lot of what what you would call gimmicks. But mm-hmm. his films he was the were king. Still, yeah, but his films were still <laughs> fun. His films were yeah. still fun. So uh, we are going to be without the Taminator tonight. Uh, she had to, to work late, so um, she said to soldier on without her. But our, our thoughts will be with you, Taminator. Yes, indeed. Yes. All right. Well, hey, we're going to get right into it. Let's get right into it. And uh, Vin, why don't you tell us a little bit about William Castle? So he was born William Schloss Jr. in 1914 in New York City. Schloss is actually German for castle. Uh, so he just used the, <laughs> you know, the English translation for his, uh, his professional career. Um, at the age of 13, he actually went and saw the play Dracula that starred Bela Lugosi. Um, and that was kind of the start for him. He was completely entranced. Uh, he kept going to performance after performance and eventually he got to meet Lugosi. Um, and, uh, he said that that was the point that he knew what he wanted to do with his life. He wanted to scare the pants off audiences. Um, so I, I think it's kind of interesting to think of Castle, you know, he's known as this gimmick person, uh, but he wasn't just like an exploiter of horror fans. He actually was a horror fan. Uh, you know, you know, yeah, he, he, he had some hokey things sometimes, but he loved this stuff. Um, I think it's important to remember that when we talk about him. Uh, and uh, Lugosi was impressed by him. He recommended him for a position as an assistant stage manager. So he actually toured with Lugosi for a while, um, you know, uh, helping out with the play. Uh, and then he, you know, I, I was actually reading his, uh, his autobiography, um, just this past spring, uh, and it's called step right up. I'm going to scare the pants off America. Um, and it was published in 1976, I believe the year before he died. Uh, and it is a lot of fun. Um, it, I recommend it strongly to anybody who's interested in William Castle or, you know, just kind of a film in general during that era. Uh, he is actually quite honest in a lot of ways about his faults, about his shortcomings, about what he gets wrong. Um, 
but he also doesn't mind boasting when he is clever, <laughs> you know, and when he, uh, he takes some chances that really pay off and that's kind of his career. Um, he takes bold chances and sometimes they really pay off. Uh, so one of them in the book, he actually ends up talking about, um, being at a party, <clears throat> I think in New York city at the time. And he's talking with an actor and, uh, this is in the 1940s and this actor is saying, well, I'm going to be going to film a, film a film tomorrow. I'm going to be getting on a plane and going. He's like, oh, what are you doing? He's like, I'm going to be doing Citizen Kane with Orson Welles. So he finds out that Orson Welles, who was actually running the Stony Creek Theater in Connecticut, was going to be not running the theater anymore. So he somehow gets Welles' phone number, and uh, he calls him up, and he convinces Welles to give him a lease for the theater, uh, basically telling Welles that he has money that he doesn't have. Uh, so then he gets this German actress, uh, Ellen Shimonica, I think is how you say it, um, to agree to uh, appear in his plays. But then there was some kind of um, regulation for the theater guild that German board actors at the time could only appear in plays originally performed in Germany. Um, so he had to come up with a German play on his own. Uh, so in 24 hours, he wrote a play called Not for Children, and then he had somebody else translate it into German, and he passed it off as a German, you know, original. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, this actress, she gets a letter from the Third Reich uh, requesting that she come back to perform you know, under Hitler's regime. Uh, and she told Castle, I don't want to go back. Uh, you know, I don't like Hitler. So he advertises this as she is the girl who said no to Hitler. And he puts that in the newspapers. Um, and they kind of start selling tickets, but it's not enough. So during the night, he actually sneaks into his own theater and he vandalizes it. And he puts swastikas all over the building <laughs> to make it look like pro-Nazi supporters didn't want this girl performing. And the next day, people were lined up, you know, <laughs> down the block to get tickets um <laughs> so this is a kind of like you know he he had a he had a certain showmanship and he knew what he could do uh so after that he ends up going to hollywood uh he works for a guy harry cohen from columbia pictures in his 20s and this is a guy who was known for being very very difficult to work with but castle seemed to be one of the few people that harry cohen actually liked um and he got work uh some decent work he got a lot of steady work throughout the 1940s he was known as kind of like this workhorse who could you know get movies in on time under budget and uh you know we go back to orson wells and uh, he actually ends up helping orson wells with his noir film the lady from shanghai in 1947 by doing second unit location work and that just seems like an absolute nightmare he was shooting on location down in mexico um off the coast and they had actually got errol flynn involved errol flynn wasn't in the movie but they rented his yacht to film on it and errol flynn agreed only if he could be the captain um, and Errol Flynn was a very heavy drinker. Uh, so I actually, if you guys don't mind, I want to read an excerpt from the book, um, mm -hmm. where he talks about filming with Orson Welles and Errol Flynn. And this is actually taken from one of his diaries. So this is, uh, I think 1947, I believe, uh, or 46, 1946 right here. Uh, November 17th, he said, cloudy and the heat oppressive. First day of shooting on Lady from Shanghai. The dark clouds seemed like an evil omen. Orson was rehearsing a scene with Rita Hayworth on the aft deck. We were 20 miles out in rough waters. Errol Flynn was at the wheel trying to keep the Zaka, that's the name of his, his yacht, on a straight course. <clears throat> Charles Lawton Jr., the cameraman, a filter to his eye, was waiting for a break in the clouds. Orson was ready to make his first take. Sam Nelson yelled for quiet as Orson took his place next to Rita. The sun had now come out. I was standing next to one of the camera assistants. He was working bareheaded and the sun was beating down with fierce intensity. The mixer yelled, speed, take one. And waiting a beat, Orson said his first line. The camera assistant started to stagger. 
Reaching out, I tried to help him. Horrified, I watched him turn blue, fighting for breath and clutching his chest. He dropped to the deck. Orson and crew members rushed to his aid, but it was too late. The assistant cameraman was dead, a fatal coronary. Errol Flynn, as captain, took, in, took instant command. Pouring himself a stick drink, he took a hefty swig. Bring me a duffel bag, he ordered, and swaying against the pitching Zaka, announced, we'll bury him at sea. Opening the duffel bag, he staggered toward the dead camera assistant, putting him in the bag and sew him up. Or Orson ordered me to get ashore as fast as possible and notify the Mexican authorities. Uh, it, it, there's little stories like that all throughout this autobiography. Maybe you can imagine Junker Errol Flynn trying to bury a guy at sea, you know, who just had a heart attack on his yacht. Um, and it's it's filled with terrific things like that. The first half is kind of his pre-horror phase, and the second half is post-horror. Um, I highly recommend it to people, although be aware that the 2010 reprint, which I got, is filled with typographical errors, and whoever was in charge of actually formatting this thing did a terrible job, but the content itself is, is incredible. Um, so... Anyway, you know, he goes into the 1950s and he decides he wants to, you know, really start making films for himself, the films that he wants to make. Um, and that's where he starts his independent work. And uh, he uh, he is at the time, we should remember, um, competing for television audiences. You know, 3D had kind of already gone the way of the dodo by like the mid 50s. So he had to figure out how to get people inside theaters. And this is where his cunning and his knack for showmanship comes in. So in 1958, he finances his first movie. He actually puts his, does it by mortgaging his house against the film. Um, so he really puts everything on the line for this. And he convinces Lloyds of London uh, to give every customer a certificate for a thousand dollar life insurance policy uh, in case they happen to die of fright during the film. Um, and he had <laughs> nurses stationed in the lobbies and purses were parked outside theaters. Uh, and it was a huge hit. So in the following year, he makes House on Haunted Hill, which pretty much everybody has seen, right, with Vincent Price. And that's where he had a Murgo. He had a skeleton with, like, red light red light eyes uh, flying, you know, <laughs> overhead until kids started, like, you know, hitting it with slingshots and everything. Uh, the same year, he does the Tingler also with Vincent Price. And that's where he had Percepto, where he had the seats buzzing, uh, you know, so that <laughs> seemed like the Tingler was coming. Um, and then after that, we're going to be talking about 13 Ghosts today from 1960. And we can talk about each of these films individually. Uh, Homicidal from 1961. Um, and he would go on, and he had many hits. Mr. Sardonicus, uh, Zots, which is more of a comedy film. He had 13 Frightened Girls, Straight Jacket, which, which you talked about in this podcast, which is we all really liked, I believe, right? Um, Bug in 1975. And we don't want to forget also that he also produced Rosemary's Baby. Mm -hmm. Um he was going to direct it originally, uh, and he was set to direct it, but then they said, mm, I think you should really talk to Roman Polanski. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, maybe he's the right person for it. And then we started talking to Polanski. He's like, okay, yeah, this is actually the guy that should be doing this. So he, he, he stepped did get aside, a little cameo you know. in it, though, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's the one standing outside the phone booth when uh, yeah. Mia Farrow is trying to make a phone call. Yeah. Um, you know, And he is somebody who has an interesting relationship with none other than Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, because... Alfred Hitchcock noticed the money that he was making on his low-budget horror films in the 1950s and with gimmicks. So Hitchcock was inspired to have his own film, which was Psycho. Um, and the gimmick of Psycho was that uh, people attending the movie could not go in during the middle of the movie. Uh, once the movie started, nobody else can go in. And that's not the way things were. You, they just used to show movies continuously, and you just kind of walk in whenever, and you would leave whenever. Um, and you know, Hitchcock had the pull to be able to do something like that, but that was a gimmick. 
Um, and so he influenced Hitchcock, but then, of course, Hitchcock influences him. Uh, he directly copies Hitchcock quite often, mm-hmm. um, kind of an homage. I mean, you know, he, he, he would be very out, you know, forthright that he was basically copying Hitchcock. Uh, but also the fact that he shows up in, like, his trailers or the beginning of movies talking to the audience, something that Hitchcock did. And he had a very uh, recognizable profile as well with his cigar prominently. Now, from above his uh, his very large chin. Um, but yeah, uh, I just think that he was, he, he seemed like, you know, everything I've heard about him or read about him, he seemed like he was just a genuinely great guy um, and very well loved. His fan club at one point had a quarter of a million people. Um, so yeah, he's somebody that definitely needs more respect and recognition. Yep. That's great. I feel like you can tell that he's a fan um, because even if some things come off as kind of cheesy, they don't come off as like exploitive. They feel they're like fun. Yeah, they're fun <laughs> and they're like dripping with atmosphere. Yeah. He you knows they're cheesy. Tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cheesy's not bad. <laughs> no. All right. Well, let's get into the, the first film, why don't we? And uh, the first film that we're going to be talking about tonight is 1960's 13 Ghosts. Uh, It's an hour and 25 minutes. uh, Not rated, of course, uh, back then. What do you think that would be rated today? PG-13 probably, right? Or would it just be PG? It might just be PG. I don't know. It's not not really gory. There's a couple of of scary parts. I don't know. Yeah. So, um, again... Directed by William Castle, written by Rob White, and it stars uh, Charles. Is that Herbert or Herbert? I don't know if it's you know if if it's a fancy one, but Charles Herbert <laughs> as Buck Zorba, Joe Morrow as uh, Medea Zorba, uh, Martin Milner as Benjamin Rush, Rosemary DeCamp as Hilda Zorba, Donald Woods as Cyrus Zorba. Uh, a great. Little part here from Margaret Hamilton as oh, yeah. Elaine uh, Zacharides. That's that she's the uh, the witch from The Wizard of Oz, and she kind of plays a witch here too. So, and then John Van Drillen as Van Allen, um, and also William Castle's in here somewhere uncredited. I didn't I didn't see him. Did you? No. Yeah. Oh well, the was it just the intro? Yeah, no, um, might be. Guess, yeah, it must be him just talking about. It. Yeah. It depends on what cut of this you watch. I don't think so. I saw him on the intro oh, in this one. Yeah. He, de- he definitely was on Homicidal. Um, yeah, so there's there a little intro on this one, too. Okay. The gimmick for this one was Illusiono, yeah. where everybody that went, they had like these two little uh, screens that they could look through. They weren't quite glasses, but red or blue. And, you know, if if you wanted to see the ghosts or not, depending on which one you use. But if you if you watch the Illusiono cut, you actually see him explain it in the very beginning. Okay. See, I didn't get that that cut. Oh, so. it's really cute. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I and liked it. <laughs> and then you've got a bunch of uncredited people as ghosts. <laughs> Can so. I mention one um one actor you forgot? Sure. You forgot Zamba, the lion ghost. Yes, the lion ghost. <laughs> oh my god! I I read about Zamba when I was researching this, and there's like a whole heartwarming story about him. It's great. Oh, you nice. guys will have to look it up. <laughs> Zamba the the ghost. Um, let's go ahead and, and do the synopsis, and we'll roll the trailer, and then we'll get into our uh, first impressions. Uh, real simple. A family inherits what proves to be a haunted house, but a special pair of goggles allows them to see their ghostly tormentors. 
<laughs> All right. So let's roll this trailer. When we get back, uh, Revenant Vin's going to kick it off with his first impressions. Listen to William Castle, whom the Saturday Evening Post calls the master of movie horror. Do you believe in ghosts? I do. And you will, too. When you come to this theater and see my picture, 13 Ghosts, uh, no more dictation today. When you see 13 Ghosts, you'll be given a supernatural viewer like this, which will enable you to penetrate for the first time into the spirit world. It'll let you see all 13 of our weird, wonderful, and wildly assorted ghosts. Now, brace yourself as we take you across the threshold of our haunted mansion, where there's a ghost for everyone in the family. Father, mother, sister, brother. You'll be scared stiff too when you see what they see. 13 ghosts materializing in ectoplasmic color through the magic of Illusiono, the ghost viewer. The ghost of a lion in the basement. The ghost of a murderous cook in the kitchen. Stop it! Stop it, I say! The ghost who speaks through the lips of the living. Death tonight to one of you. The evil ghost in the bedroom fighting to take possession of this beautiful girl. You'll feel all the thrills and chills of seeing one ghost multiplied by the magic number 13. All right, we're back. So, Vin, what were your first impressions? I, I know you watched this one a lot. Yeah, and I don't remember exactly when I first saw this movie. Um, it may have been like on late night television, but I think it was more likely like one of those free Roku streaming services or something like that that maybe I found it on. Um, but regardless... Yeah, I was an adult when I saw it, and I knew that it would be a perfect Halloween film for my family. Um, and we've watched it each year for about the past four years, I think. Um, my son is nine now, so we probably started when he was like four or five or something like that. Um, and, you know, my kids have always loved watching it. And for my most recent watch for this podcast, I watched it with my son and nephew. Who, yeah, they're both nine. Um, and they both had a blast with it. Uh, it was kind of the perfect mixture of fun and scary for them. Mm-hmm. They both jumped when that like gaunt looking guy appeared at the door yeah. to hand Cyrus, you know, the letter that's <laughs> telling yeah. me the lawyer and, and, then and my nephew. Too. Yeah. Okay. You never see him again. Uh, and my nephew actually put a blanket over his head when it looked like Buck was going to bite the dust. Um, <laughs> you know, but neither kid had like last, lasting trauma. Yeah. They both agreed yeah. that it was surprisingly fun, especially for a black and white movie. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's just a perfect Halloween family film. Um, it evokes the things that I love most about the holiday season. Like there's ghostly moans and screams, like all good seasonal soundtracks should have. Mm-hmm. We got witches, Ouija boards, spooky estates with like hidden secrets, apparitions that look like they were just like Halloween decorations bought at the Dollar Tree. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, objectively, it's not a great film. <laughs> but all the things I think one could criticize with regard to filmmaking, I think, are the things that make it all the more endearing and fun. Um, you know, House on Haunted Hill gets all the love, but I think because that's in public domain, uh, and so it's seen the most, but I think his other films deserve more attention and especially this one. Yep. All right. How about you, Jessica? First impressions. Yeah. Um, this was actually my first time watching this 
And I've been meaning to watch it for a long time, actually, since the the 13 Ghosts, I guess you would call it, remake came out in the, what was it, like the 90s or the early 2000s. Um, that's actually like a guilty pleasure of mine and my mom's. So we used to watch that one a lot. And so I've always wanted to see the original. Um, so it was really awesome to finally get around to doing that. Um, and I really loved it. Like five seconds into the intro with all of the <laughs> ghosts. I love that opening. And groaning and stuff. <laughs> I just like got all the happy butterflies inside <laughs> from that alone. And then William Castle's intro made me so excited. And this is just like, this is the kind of thing where I feel like if I saw this as a kid, I would have definitely given it a 10 out of 10. Um, but I did, I mean, I liked it a lot. I'm not going to spoil my, uh, rating yet, but I'll just say that I really loved it and it's super up my alley. All right. Uh, Vin, this was the first time I'd seen this as well. Actually, all three of these movies tonight is the first time I'd seen all three of them. Um, again, I've seen the, the, the 13 ghost remake and yeah, it's, it's, it's a little cheesy fun. Little Matthew, Matthew, uh, was it Lillard? Lillard, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I will say this. My first impressions of this is that it was real fun. It was a fun movie. There were actually a couple of little parts that uh, I figured if I was a kid or something in the '60s would have would have probably uh, you know uh, uh, when um, the dude came out of the closet. Was it at the closet? Or she was oh, behind she was, the curtain. Yeah, she was closing the window yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. Came, yeah, that, that was a pretty a pretty cool mask. Yeah. yeah. I was a little frightful there and they, they did a good shot, look good close up of it. So there were, there were a few things that were kind of creepy and, uh, I, I liked the, uh, just the, the whimsy of it. It was, it was, it was kind of cool. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I, I enjoyed myself with this one. So let's just get into, uh, what we liked about it. Uh, f- first of all, uh, I, I've got, um, one, like I liked the, uh, um, the, the Ouija board scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought that was very interesting, and I think for 1960, you know, I, I didn't see any strings or anything when the, when that what's that what's that thing called the, pl- the planchette the, the planchette floated yeah. up and you can and, barely see it sometimes. Yeah, I, I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it on my thing, and I was like, well, that's impressive for 1960. And um, and my second like is is Margaret Hamilton. Just, just oh, yeah. oh yeah, and and the fact that they were it was like a little tongue in cheek. Oh, absolutely. And she loved, well, she loved that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's, uh, I, I love with her the the knowing witch jokes. Yes, you know, and she does. She <laughs> seems like she's such a great sport about the whole thing, mm-hmm. and like she has that little wink at the audience at the end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I feel like if if this film had been made like ten years earlier, that part would have been played by Bella Lugosi. You know, mm-hmm. she has like that kind of somber delivery that yeah. he used to have, but I love that it's a female actress for this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she, it, she is one of the joys I think of, of this movie. Yeah. Cause she doesn't take herself too seriously, you know? And she was no. like, she's probably the most famous witch ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I yeah. guess, you know, if, if you could, if you count Harry Potter, uh, <laughs> that he's, he's more of a, is that a wizard, a wizard or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So I, I like, I like that about it. Yeah. And, uh, I, I enjoy the, um, uh, the premise of the movie with the 13 ghosts and all these yeah. different ghosts, uh, it, it, it's kind of fun. And I don't remember what all the ghosts were in the, in the, uh, in the remake. I know they were a little bit more risque, 
I think. <laughs> yeah. The well, ones they're certainly here. more threatening in yeah, the remake. The ones here, you know, you get the chef with a chef yeah. hat and he's like, you know, throwing the cleaver and puts a cleaver in his wife's head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, just kind of like dancing skeletons and stuff like that. I, I just thought it was fun. So yeah, I, th- I think this would be a good intro kind of horror to for a lot of uh, a lot of kids. Yeah, this might be a weird thing to say, but when I watch movies like this, it kind of makes me want to have more kids so that I could get this into their brain at a younger age than I did yeah. with my daughter. Because <laughs> I didn't show my daughter any classic horror when she was younger, and now she's like, oh, black and white movies, gross. <laughs> so I, it really is just like, oh, I want to share this with a little kid really badly. I need some nephews and nieces or something. <laughs> well, one thing that I think that it's worth noting about this is that in certain ways, it's it's kind of ground, groundbreaking, um, not just because of the gimmick of Illusiono, but just in terms of horror and ghosts. Because I've mentioned this in the past, but American horror films didn't show real ghosts hardly ever. Uh, you know, it, they they it was kind of antithetical to that sort of thing. Um, whenever there was a real ghost in a movie, usually it was a comical thing, or if it was a horror movie. And there were supposed to be ghosts. You would it would turn out the ghosts weren't real at the end. Um, so to have a scary horror film and real ghosts was actually very unique. Uh, you only saw that you saw it like 1944 with The Uninvited. You know, you see it like in the early 30s with a movie called Supernatural. But like, it's it's kind of shocking today how you know looking back how little this actually happened. Um, so this is kind of actually really. Um, you know, quite extraordinary in that way. Uh, we didn't see Ouija boards all that often in like real horror films. We saw it in The Uninvited. Um, but, you know, this this kind of takes like a funner take, I think, on the whole spiritualism aspect. You know, mm-hmm. uh, he's kind of, they're using Plato Zorba, you know, traveled the world collecting ghosts. He used the scientific means to kind of research and capture them. Uh, you know, and it's fun. We have like seances, we have a medium, you know, <laughs> we have special lenses to see the ghosts, which is kind of like spirit photography from the 19th century. Um, it's great. You know, I, I like you just kind of talk about with the premise. Um, it, it's easy to forget, I think, uh, how, you know, how much this premise pushed ghosts forward in horror. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I really like this premise too. It's obviously original for the time and it's just like so fun and full of like the prospect of adventure. Um, and that's just something that always kind of grabs me is, that feeling of, oh, where is this going? What can happen? I haven't heard a story like this before. Um, oh, it's so fun. Yeah. And what was the um, the illusion, though? So if you look through the red, uh, you would be able to, the ghost would stand out more, right? Yeah, it was and one of the, like, if, if you watch the illusion cut, whenever it says put on the glasses, the screen turns blue. And the ghosts are actually red. Okay. So I think if you look through the red, you can't really see the ghosts, and if you look through the blue, they 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 stand out vividly. Okay. Um, I think that's that's how the thing works. So they weren't glasses that you put on; they were like a little rectangle that you would just kind of you know they had two strips that were basically three D strips. You had a blue strip and a red strip, and you yeah. just kind of look through the one that you wanted, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's great. It kind of like it suggests that what you what I'm going to show you on this film is you know it might be too terrifying for you to take, which of course it's. It's a freaking lion, like you know, it's <laughs> it's so goofy. Hey, that headless lion tamer was pretty freaky. That was yeah, but I don't understand why the lion was dead. 
league. None of that. Yeah. I don't know why there's a lying ghost. <laughs> maybe he killed him. Maybe he choked on his head when he. Uh... Maybe they cut him in half to get the cat out. I have no idea. Yeah. Like it's, you know. But then again, this isn't the kind of movie that you think about. You have to think too hard about. It's not. It's not about that. You know. What I, I like is like. Uh, sorry. Go ahead. No, just go ahead. Go ahead. I'll, I'll tell you in a minute. I was gonna say like the the fun quality of this. I think is like the family. Um, the family is great. I love the couple. I think the mother's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, they're they're kind of like a fun 1950s sitcom family. You know, like yeah. I can imagine their conversations having laugh tracks. Mm-hmm. You know, uh-huh. but like then they're put into a horror film. You know, um, and the the mother especially, she just kind of strikes this perfect note. You know, where it doesn't get too campy, but she's you know it's kind of knowing. But uh, they have just some great lines in this. Um, like I like, I, I just love like, when she's on the phone in the beginning and the guys are repossessing the furniture and yeah. you can see the guy like look at her trying to figure out he's going to get this chair, um, you know, that she's sitting on. And just mm-hmm. at one point, the father, after he's looking in all the kids, he comes back, he says all clear on the offspring front. I'm like, I just love that. Like it's, you know, <laughs> there's, they're, they're a fun couple. They're a fun family. Yeah. You described that in a really good way. It's true that there are moments where you can kind of like, it's almost like they're winking to you and you can imagine the laugh track. Yeah. Uh, I had put in my notes, why isn't the wife more pissed off that her husband didn't pay the bills on time? She's just yeah. kind of like, oh, it's okay. Your father's like, oh, shucks. Man. There he goes again. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so funny. In certain ways, he's kind of like the anti-50s like dad because he's not like, you know, he, he the fa- like father knows best. Um, like, no, <laughs> he he's boneheaded in a lot of ways. Like, he's smart, I guess, in his field, you know, but like he's not good at everyday things. Um, right. But, yeah, they're <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're they're fun, and I especially want to say, uh, Buck is awesome. Um, he is like kind of a little creep, uh, though, for sure. Not too. I don't think he's too bad, but I mean, like, yeah. like, like what monster the kid? In the movie, like the parts where it gets kind of dark, it's always like Buck's involvement of it makes it more creepy. <laughs> yeah, but he's not sinister in any way. Oh no, um, he's not just sinister. innocent in certain ways. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you like, think about okay with the things that are happening. <laughs> but that, that I think is great because the ghosts don't end up actually being dangerous. You know, right. that's that's kind of one of the twists in the film is that they think the ghosts are going to kill one of them, one of the family members. Yeah. But that's not who they actually mean, and the ghosts don't actually seem to hold you know mean them any harm. Like they uh-huh. put on shows for Buck. You know, like they right. kind of like reenact their deaths for his entertainment, it seems. You know, like yeah. the headless the headless line tamer is like, look, look, look what I can do, you know? Um, <laughs> by the end of the movie, just to kind of jump yeah, at the end real quick, you know, just to make the point, it's like this kid is rich. He's living in a mansion, you know? He's has f- ghosts for friends. He has the <laughs> Wicked Witch of the West as your housekeeper, right? <laughs> so like, I think we should have t-shirts printed that just say, I want to be like Buck. Right. You know, like <laughs> what kid, a monster kid would not want that ending. So true. Yeah. yeah. And I think that during the scene where we think, you know, that he might come to his demise, I think that all the ghosts are like freaked out about it. Did I? Yeah, well, his, his uncle actually comes to save him. Right. But you see them so, all like chattering throughout the yeah, house. Yeah, it seems like they're warning or something. Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah, they're agitated by the whole thing. Right. What'd you think? Yeah, about like they're the, they're actually allies of the family in the end. <laughs> what'd you think about the uh, the ghost goggles? Yeah, I love how it look, he looks cross-eyed wearing them. Yeah, he looks so doofy when you see it head on. But the and idea they, is awesome. And they yeah. don't look like goggles to me. Those things look like, <laughs> they look like so uncomfortable. They look, yeah, they look like, like jewelers, like you know. <laughs> 
I was going to say very ahead of their time. <laughs> yes, I, I was going to say I thought it was hilarious when um, we see the the lion tamer with no head because you <laughs> can you can see that it's some dude you know with an elongated uh, torso. Yeah. He's, yeah. I mean, it, it's hilarious, and his arms are just kind of so flopping. Long. It was hilarious, <laughs> but again, you know, cheesy, but not you know, not stupid. No, but it's fun, how, like in like a, a haunted house ride type of way. Yeah, you know, like you, it's like a Halloween event. You know, like I said, like you know, like you, it's like if you went on a ride that was going to take you through a haunted house, or you know, the kind of thing that like you know you'd see of like a family friendly haunted house that you'd go to. You know, for mm-hmm. an event around the holiday. You know, it's that's that's the feeling that I get from it. It's yeah. it's a little bit macabre. You know, <laughs> just enough of like a shock factor, but it's mostly harmless stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. It, for me, it feels like the core of of like all the things that we love. And mm-hmm. I think that's why I'm always so obsessed with like gateway horror. That's kind of like the thing that really gets to me and hits me in yeah. the nostalgia button. Um, yeah. So whenever I come upon stuff like this, I'm like, oh, this is the feeling I had when I was a little kid and I was first discovering my love for these things. I just and even- oh, I love it. Even the faults are fun. Like my nephew, he saw the string on the fly. <laughs> the oh, flight's yeah. like buzzing and zapped. He was so excited that he saw that string. Like there was so much joy there, you know. Um, mm-hmm. John Waters has talked about how like William Castle was his hero. You know, like that's what made him want to become a filmmaker. And he's talked in the past, like a TCM did a whole like you know William Castle retrospective, and he talked about going to going to see the Tingler. You know, mm-hmm. and, you know, as a kid and the fact that you can see the string made it that much more joyous. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like having a private language all your own with your fellow horror fans. You right. know, you, you relish in how goofy this is and you all speak the same language. And right. he, you know, just the fact that it looked fake made it better. And that I could see that join my nephew's eyes, you know, when he saw that that string for the fly. I yeah. saw that same kind of reaction. You know, he didn't say, oh, that's fake and stupid. He was excited. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he had genuine joy in his face that he was seeing the strings. That's so awesome. I did too. And I'm in my thirties. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it kind of, kind of, uh, seems to me like it's a little mix between, uh, you know, something like poltergeist and like leave it to beaver. It's like that yeah. uh, little, little <laughs> bit of, a little bit of horror, a little bit of, you know, gee, Wally, you know, type of thing. And uh, it's just a product of its time. You know, it's it's not going to be scary to to us as adults, but you can just appreciate the uh, the craft behind it. And I I think I like it better than House on Haunted Hill on Haunted Hill. I do, too. Like I like I was kind of alluding to earlier, and I didn't come right out and say it, but I kind of was getting to that point where Haunted on Haunted Hill gets all the love. But it's like because it's in the public domain, everybody's seen that one. Yeah. I think it's one of Castle's weakest films. Um, yeah. Like he he wasn't a bad filmmaker. Like he wasn't like a genius auteur or anything like that. But like you know he knew how to make a movie. And House on Haunted Hill, it's got Vincent Price in it. And it's got yeah. a couple fun moments, but it's not a great film. It's got um, an old hag on a skateboard. Yeah, that's the best scene in the movie. <laughs> then the skeleton popping out and the marionette strings. Yeah. Um, but you know that that's a movie that you it suggests maybe it's haunted, maybe it's not. You know, uh, it, it kind of makes it look like maybe maybe he made up all the ghost stuff. Maybe it, there are ghosts, but if there are, it's inconsequential to the plot. Um, but yeah, House on the Hill is is okay. 
but uh, I think this is way better. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to revisit it because it's been a while since I've seen it. Um, but I remember liking it. I don't remember if I liked it more than this, though. Yeah, I, I liked it, but th this is, to me, this is um, a more fun experience. Oh, it was so fun. Yeah, if you're looking for something fun, which, you know, if I'm going back to the 50s and 60s to watch something, I, I know I'm not going to be be scared. So I'm looking for fun. Um, yeah, and the pacing's actually pretty good. I like never even it thought moves, it moves quickly. Yeah, yeah. I thought that uh, I thought it actually could have been a little bit longer. I think I think they could have, uh, you know, because of the pacing was was so good, and there was there wasn't a lot of fat to trim out. I mm -hmm. didn't think so, and I don't know if they did. I don't know if they, you know. Um, trimmed a lot of scenes out or whatever, but I think they could have gone a little bit deeper. Yeah, probably into not. He was a pretty economical filmmaker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I uh, think all I, three of the movies are basically the same runtime. <laughs> I think that one of the things that is good about the runtime too, relates to Ben rush, you know, the, the lawyer who ends up being our villain. And I think that the fact that it's not blatantly he's a villain at first is actually really good. Mm -hmm. um you know and you but you can actually see hints of it if you're looking for it you know like like one of my favorite lines is when he tells him about the house he's like i'm afraid you won't like it it's one of those sprawling old mansions they built 50 years ago it's like <laughs> yeah that sounds terrible yeah. <laughs> you know it's like it's just you know like when you know what he's doing he's trying to get them out of the house you kind of get it but you know yeah. it comes off as a funny line to me at first um but you know there's little things like that throughout the throughout the movie but if you're not looking for a villain then you're not going to be necessarily he's not going to stick out to you in that way right um yeah so i, th I thought the the unraveling of him as a villain is actually really good and you know and i was watching i guess you know my my nephew and my son to kind of see when they were catching on and they were starting to catch on at like the right time that yeah. he wasn't really to be trusted you know and when they saw him kind of like grab buck's arm hard and he heard them yeah. like they were like all their alarms were off, you know, so you can see them, you know, and they're supposed to be like Buck's age, you know, but like you can you can see them following the plot and getting the sense that, oh, wait, Ben's not to be trusted. Yeah, I was I was a little like, I was like, come on, Ben, you're not this stupid, are you? <laughs> or Buck, I'm sorry. Come on, Buck. You're not this stupid, are you? Like, I mean, he's trying to. Oh, no, I'm, you got to go to bed. Go to bed right now. And I, we're going to give him the money in the morning. You know, I, you can't be this stupid, Buck. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think like 1960, if it's especially like a sitcom family, yeah, you trust the adults. You know, uh, you, you trust these authority figures. Guess, yeah, um, Ben's been like coming around and going on dates with Medea and stuff. Yeah, he's he's kind of been accepted into the circle at that point. Um, you know, and it, it's this also begins a certain trend with uh, <laughs> with Castle in like just like using using familiar names for the movie for some reason, like, like Benjamin rush was like a founding father. Mm -hmm. He was a physician in Philadelphia that signed the declaration of independence. And at first I thought like, is that maybe that's just a coincidence. But then like later on, one of the movies we're going to talk about later, they call it like John Adams and they call mm -hmm. it William Harris. <laughs> I'm like, no, this is on purpose. <laughs> like, he's just, he's just picking names. And even the next movie, there, there's like a name where I'm like, wow, that's what he went with. Uh, it's like, you know, it's like he looked around the room. Right. And, uh, it saw a name. He's like, yep, that's it. Like the family's know. name is all Greek. Uh, they make a reference to Pandora's box. 
which if you really stretched, maybe you can almost make a connection, but I don't really think so. It just seemed like he was like, again, just kind of like, you know, like he opened up a book of Greek myths and you know, just started picking out <laughs> names or something. He's uh, filler. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, did you have any dislikes, uh, Jessica? I honestly did not. No. <laughs> yeah. I don't have any dislikes. I just have likes and general observations, but no dislikes. Yeah. The, the only dislike for me uh, is the same dislike I have for most of these movies is I, I didn't feel like the soundtrack or the score always fit. You know what I mean? Oh, like I didn't get that with this one. No, no yeah. I didn't get it with this one. Yeah. The last movie we're going to talk about, I definitely got it with, but not this one. Yeah. So, but that, that's, that's about it. I mean, you got to look at it for, uh, you know, what it was, a product of its time, and, and uh, judge it that way. But, yeah, I don't really have any dislikes either. Anything else we need to say about it? I mean, what uh, talking about the, the remake, they really did try to, like, make it, like, really scarier and, like, really, mm-hmm. you know, more well, I think gory. I think it's kind of cool that they made it their own thing because the premise is so cool. Um so, like, seeing that modernized version of it where they really flesh out the ghosts and their different, um, what's the word? They they all have, like, a, a role that they fulfill. Um, I think that, I honestly, I watched it right after I watched this, and I still like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, and it's again, totally it's, it's a cheesy film, but it's enjoyable. Yes. Yeah. You know, the big difference is the fact that you kind of want to live in this house, I think, at the end. But you're not going to want to live in the newer one. Oh, no. But uh, William Castle's daughter was a producer on that. So, mm. I mean, but if you look at um, TV shows and stuff from the, the late 50s, early 60s, you, you look at something like Leave it to Beaver or, you know, My Three Sons or any of that. It's all cheesy. Oh, but yeah. It's, but it's entertaining. It, it it's cheesy meant to in a good way. It wasn't meant to represent reality. Yeah, it's cheesy Those in a things good way. Depicted an idealized version of yeah. American suburbia, not as suburbia yeah. actually was. Yeah, same kind of thing here. I mean, it's just kind of like an all-American neighborhood, which is kind of the the exterior of the film was actually at the Winchester Mystery House. It's kind mm-hmm. of interesting, like when he's like roller skating on the front porch and stuff like that. The exterior uh-huh. shots are all that, but oh, really? otherwise, it seems like they could just be in like in any kind of like you know middle of America suburbia that has sprawling old mansions. Yeah, one of those fifty-year-old ones that you know you you wouldn't like. like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do wish we would have gotten a a little bit more of a um, uh, like when Ben gets it at the end. Mm -hmm. You know, like we could have seen him suffer a little bit or something. But I love seeing the flash of his ghost at the end. Yeah, Yeah. that's great. You know that he's one of the haunting ghosts now inside that house, and that's kind of a great poetic justice for him. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, should we uh, go ahead and uh, rate it? Sure. It's I'll rated. let you go first, Vin, because you are. These are your films. I feel like we yeah. got a high score coming here. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not ten. <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's an eight point five for me, um, which is kind of like you know, it's a it's a step just below like absolute classic, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you got to kind of be in the right mood. You know, I think it's best to like watch with kids. Like I said, a younger audience, it's not one that I'm going to put on a silly by myself, 
to watch yeah. all the time, but it's like a family movie for me. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's one that I like. I, I watch every year, but again, I'm not going to watch it by myself every year. Uh, so yeah, eight point five. It's it's definitely to me. I think it is a classic. I mean, I think it it, it deserves to be talked about in in those uh, 50s, 60s uh, classic horror films. I, th- I think so. So I'll give it, you know, I'll give it an eight out of 10. And I think it's perfect for, like you said, a Halloween party or just kind of getting together and, and um, watching a, a film in October with some friends or whatever. Nothing too serious. Um, and, and it's just a, a good time. So, yeah, eight. How about you, Jessica? Yeah, um, for me, it's kind of like an instant classic that I want to I want to steal some children and force them to watch this with me around Halloween. So I need to figure out how to do that. <laughs> but for me, it's a nine out of ten. Nice. I like really, really love it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll have to get uh, Taminator to uh, to weigh in to get get her score. Yeah, when she comes back on, because uh, I'm interested. That, that's a high score from all of us. So, good pick there, Vin. Yeah, thanks, Vin. Thanks. It's mm-hmm. the only one I'd seen ahead of time, so can't blame <laughs> right. the other ones if you don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to talk about 1961's Homicidal. Well, you see what I get from the refreshment counter. <laughs> Oh boy, popcorn, and hot dogs, and ice cream, and oh boy, sparkling ice cold Coca-Cola. Oh boy, that tastes good. Have you been to the refreshment counter? Remember, your favorite snack will taste especially good with world-famous ice-cold Coca-Cola. All right, we're back. All right, homicidal. Another William Castle film, 1961, one hour and 28 minutes. And this is unrated, but I'm not sure why. I guess they didn't have ratings back then, right? Yeah, this didn't exist. Because <laughs> um, it's got some got some uh, horrific stuff in it, for especially for 1961. Yeah. Um, this is uh, about uh, the brutal stabbing murder of a justice of the peace sparks an investigation of dark family secrets in a sleepy small town in Southern California. Again, written by Rob White, who wrote uh, the previous film, 13 Ghosts. Wait, Mark, can I just stop you real quick? Yeah. Just before something is maybe given away. Okay. That obviously we are spoiling all these films. Yes. But I do think that if people have not seen this film. Yeah, they, that to... they should really watch it before listening to us talk about it. Okay. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I'm just, I just want to give that warning before you, you maybe continue on with the cast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wink, wink. Yes. <laughs> so with that said, it stars, uh, Glenn Corbett as Carl Anderson, Patricia Breslin as Miriam Webster. Uh, you, you, is it Eugenie <laughs> Leontovich as Helga Swenson? Uh, has a lot of speaking parts in that one. Uh, Alan <laughs> Bunce as Dr. Jonas, Richard Rust as Jim Nesbitt, poor James Westerfield as Alfred S. Uh, Adrams, Gilbert Green as Lieutenant Miller, and Joan Marshall as Emily. Um, she actually um, played in this film as Jean Arliss. That's uh, 
what she went by, like a stage name. But after this film, she dropped that stage name and went by her real name, Joan Marshall. And so. especially because it's a gender neutral name. Yes. Which is, yes. Yep. Uh, and then, of course, you do have William Castle at the very beginning of this, um, giving a little, a little, uh, uh, I guess, prequel or a little uh, intro. <laughs> yeah. And doing a little needle point or cross stitch or whatever he was doing that didn't fool anybody. He didn't do that. Uh, <laughs> so um, let's go ahead and roll this trailer. And when we get back, we'll get into our first impressions. For the first time in screen history, a special interval will be provided during the running of this picture for refunding your admission. If you're unable to stand the almost unbearable suspense, the almost paralyzing shock of homicidal... If homicide is your hobby, uh, may I recommend a, a surgical knife for a nice, clean, quiet murder? I'm William Castle, and uh, uh, this wheelchair is just to rest my tired nerves after producing a picture like this one. We are so sure you will find it such a shocking and startling experience that we are offering a money-back guarantee when you come to see Homicidal. At the height of the suspense, there will be a fright break, an interval during which you can quiet your nerves. If you are too frightened to see the end of the picture, your full admission price will be refunded. Time to go downstairs now. Got a date to carve a corpse. back in again because it's your film Vin. let's go ahead and uh you you start us off all right uh well just just to explain the gimmick for this one uh this one had a fright break um which before the very the last scenes of the film uh mm -hmm. there's a timer that's overlaid Yes. on the on the screen um i think i love it because it's kind of slowly zooming in on the door you know the, the camera's pushing in and you hear castle uh, counting down 45 seconds uh so if you're a coward you can now get up from the theater you know go out to the lobby and get a refund before watching the end and in order to get that refund you had to sign a card that declared that you were a bona fide coward and <laughs> there was like yellow tape and words with coward written all over it <laughs> to really embarrass you. It was called uh, the coward's corner. Right, right. Yeah, I saw it, it was like a and, cardboard uh, cutout type thing. Yeah. It's, oh, it's fantastic. God. I wonder and if this was a big risk. I wonder well, here's the thing. The, the first time they showed it, nobody really got up. 
into the uh -huh. thickets. And then in the second showing, almost everybody was getting up and getting their refunds. And they were freaking out at first, like, what, what the hell happened? It turned out that the people who were getting refunds had already seen the movie in the first showing. And they just stayed there. And then they waited for the second showing. And then when it came, from, came time for the, you know, the fright break, they left. And they got their refund. So after that, Castle had colored tickets printed for each showing. So that they had to have a certain color for it. Um, but he said about only 1% of patrons demanded refunds. Uh, yeah. And that was it. So he actually got tons of money for it, uh, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, this I had not seen this movie before. Um, but I had read about it in Castle's autobiography. So unfortunately, I already knew the twist going in. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm really curious to hear what you guys about it and how it was pulled off uh i honestly expect it to be a lot worse than it was um just imagining it in my head you know what this would have been like um i think if people in 1961 weren't looking for it they may have actually been fooled uh but i think it's a pretty good film um yeah in a certain way it's a, it's a psycho ripoff but it manages to kind of be its own thing and shows a complexity of storytelling that i think is actually pulled off pretty well i think it's from the same writer as 13 ghosts um this is definitely a more complicated story yeah, um, I think for modern audiences, they might think it moves a bit too slow, especially in the middle, maybe and the end resolution kind of comes quickly. Um, but I think Castle delivers some memorable scenes and I kind of really admire the chutzpah it takes to try to pull off a film like this. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I enjoyed this one. Um, but again, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you guys think about the whole twist. All right, Jessica, first impressions. Yeah, uh, like you, this is all of these are a first time watch for me as well. Um, I did not see the twist coming and I was shocked by it. <laughs> so <Awesome. laughs> there's your uh, feedback on that. And I, I think it helped kind of explain some other things that maybe I didn't quite like while I was watching the movie. So that was kind of mm. cool, too. Um, I do like some of the ideas that they're exploring, um, whether they're um expressed in a way that's fantastic or not is a different issue but i still like that they delve into certain ideas um but yeah overall i thought it was a really cool watch um i don't know if i'll ever return to it but i was really glad to have seen it yeah all right it's my turn um i really enjoyed this film uh, i saw that it was kind of like his answer to psycho uh, and he was kind of playing on the, on the same field, if so to speak, um, as far as the twist goes, I, I knew something was weird mm -hmm. <laughs> about, uh, was it Warren? Warren, Warren. Yeah. Yeah. Warren, uh, the moment that I saw him and first of all, they dubbed his voice in, uh, which yeah. was very right. obvious if, if they had um, done it and it and it hadn't have been so obvious um so i was like why are they dubbing his voice in and he just had like a the features that were a little striking yeah. you know and i was like there's something weird about him <laughs> you know <laughs> um and then we find out at the begin at the end that the, it's the same character he is she is playing him right Yep. Um, yeah. And, and uh, he's it Emily. Yeah. yeah. Or Emily is him. Yeah. Yeah. It gets <laughs> gets revealed, and and I did probably about oh, I'm trying to think of when I really figured it out. 
it was more than halfway through and I was like, you know what? Uh, they are never in the same scene together. <laughs> yeah. it, was like, it was almost like Batman and Bruce Wayne. Like they are never <laughs> in the same scene together. They try to trick you in one scene. Yeah. In the yeah. bedroom. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think this might be it. I think this might be it. And uh, and then they, they actually, uh, at the end, like he had like false teeth in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the wig and all that. So, uh, yeah, but it was, a. I think the, the final like six to eight minutes of this film are really outstanding. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the whole, you know, the fright, what it was it called again? Fright, fright break. Fright break. Yeah. I understand why I did it, you know, or whatever, but I think it kind of like breaks up the tension there that was building to ramp up the tension. Yeah, but I thought it was kind of, you know, uh, just breaking that fourth wall and, you know, all right now, it's about to get really scary. You know, you might want to get out. You know, I just thought yeah. that was a good That's just uh, so funny. I don't know me, if it quite, <laughs> yeah, it, it, I don't it know if it fit in this movie. Like, I really liked it in 13 Ghosts, the gimmick and stuff, but for this it's movie, it's much more serious film. There is a lot, yeah, more serious. So I could see it not really being that great. <laughs> And, I mean, I still like it because I just love stuff like that. But yeah, and here's uh, here's your uh, famous name again, Miriam Webster. Yeah, I some <laughs> dictionaries by her. Dictionary. Yeah. I did notice that one. I was like, whoa, that's weird. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but I think this film surprised me uh, because the murder at the beginning or near the beginning that that was pretty brutal. Yeah, I mean, they show quite a few yeah. stabs and yeah, the blood stabs and, and the blood coming out and everything. It, it was not like blood wasn't common to see in like mainstream films. Yeah, so. yeah. So it, it was definitely, uh, I think, for 1961, it would be jaw dropping because mm-hmm. even even in Psycho, you don't you don't see a knife go in. No, you just you see, see that uh, Hershey up. syrup going down the drain. Yeah, and and <laughs> and it's it's all about what you don't see and what's in you know inferred or whatever. This like you're you see you see you're stabbing the guy in this in the gut and blood yeah. pouring out and and it was uh it was a little shocking and I thought that because uh, I wasn't expecting that with a, a movie from 1961. So uh, no, but, even though I knew the twist, I didn't know the whole story. Yeah. So yeah, the whole time I'm thinking, what is going on? So it really keeps you engaged. Yeah. It, yeah, I trying to figure that out because yeah. the beginning of the story doesn't quite match up with where it ends up going. So you're like, what is going on? Why did she yeah. ask that guy to marry her? Why did she stab that other guy? What's happening? So yeah, this is all connected. Good job at that. Yeah, and and the little thing at the beginning, you know, right after William Castle with his little cross stitch thing. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> With with the kids, and in the in oh yeah, and the doll Warren taking the doll. What a weird looking kid! Straight up weird. <laughs> I was like, what is wrong with that kid? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it does. It does all pretty much connect at the end, though, when you figure out what was actually going on. Yeah, and what was happening with Warren. Yeah, but you that know? was good oh, because I, it, it you don't reference it again. They don't reference it again. You just kind of figure it out. Yeah, you got to remember it. And you remember, <laughs> oh, that's what that was all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just wanted to 
I just wanted to smack Helga. <laughs> I was like, what? honestly, you can't, you can't make like, I'm, I'm, okay, maybe she couldn't make a sound, but you couldn't like, like really get out of there, like somehow, like she still could move, right? I mean, she had that that door knob in her hand. She was like crank, you know. Uh, I, I don't, especially you know when the doctor have... came to visit. Yeah. Like I, I and she's just sitting there. I would have faked like, like I was choking, or I, I would have done something because <laughs> you know this this chick is is gonna kill you. So um, I was kind of annoyed with everyone else. I'm like, she looks terrified. Why isn't anyone doing anything? Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I thought she was kind of ridiculous, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and I love, I love the, um, I love the whole, uh, set piece with, with her coming down in the shadows yeah. down the steps yeah. and cool. shadow That's of her my head favorite falling part. off. Her head was, falling off. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, I was surprised that, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was I was surprised the hotel rooms are only five dollars in the city. That's pretty amazing. Um, Seven fifty for the for the suite. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's true. <right. laughs> she was a big spender. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, just to kind of before we leave the whole like the fact that she's playing this male character as well, you know, um, I do think that Joan Marshall does a pretty admirable job of like portraying a man as much as she can. Yeah, you know, like she tries to walk like a man, um, and for the most part, she pulls it off. I think she doesn't turn her head like a man. <laughs> That's where, like, she kind of has like her chin up, and mm-hmm. when she turns, it's a little bit more. But in the, it actually makes sense in the context of the film. Um, when you right. find out that, because I think this could have gone, this could have gone a really bad psychosexual direction. Mm-hmm. You know, if this was a Jalo, it definitely would have done that. Yeah. Like he would have been like, you know, a homosexual, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. hermaphrodite, you know, it would have been all this kind of thing, but no, it's, it's just a woman. That's all it is. You know, it's a woman who was forced to live as a man and was abused, uh, you know, to act like a boy. The father wasn't allowed to know that it was a girl. Um, the father used to pay a local neighborhood boy to beat her up, to try and toughen her up, you know, yeah. and Warren talks about Helga using a whip on him. Yeah. Like when he tried to play with the doll, you know, so like this is a this is a girl that's been abused her whole life and forced yeah. to try and act like a boy. So then I think it's important because they, they keep saying they went to Denmark. Denmark, I guess, at the time was one of the few places you get a sex change operation. Oh, so okay. it seems like Helga had taken Warren there to actually give him a sex change operation to make him into a male. But then she has like a stroke. So now Warren is allowed to start living as Emily start actually living as a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you get the whole legal matter, right? Where the father wanted a male heir and he had to be married in order to get the inheritance. So yeah. that's why he has to go and kind of, you know, fake the marriage and all this, all this stuff, you know, to try and get the inheritance and, you know, get it from the sister and stuff like that. Um, so it, it does all actually connect um, by the end. And it makes sense why Warren wouldn't be entirely convincing as a male. Cause it's not, mm-hmm. uh, but it's pretty good makeup because they actually do a little bit of prosthetics with the nose and with the mouth. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I guess Castle was originally going to try and cast a male and a woman to do this. And Joan Marshall came in and first she got the part of Emily and she said, I really want to try and do Warren. Uh, and he's just like, well, I don't know if it's going to be convincing. So she came in and she read as Warren and he's just like, 
she kind of had her voice deeper. Of course, it ends up getting dubbed anyway, but she like portrayed a male instead. And he was just like, oh, he talks about this in the autobiography, you know, and he's like, okay, let's try this. So he sends her down to the makeup department and they make her look like a male, you know, as much as they can without the prosthetics. And she comes in two hours after she had come up as a woman and she talks to the castle secretary and secretary had no idea it was the same person. She thought it was a male. So uh -huh. that's when he's just like, oh, I think that we could actually pull this off. Yeah. So then he had his makeup people. They put a little bit on the nose, put a little bit on the mouth, give her the teeth, you know, and they put brown contact lenses in her eyes too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, of course, dye her hair black. Uh, and they filmed the first half of the movie as the male. And then they did the female role in the second half of filming um, to try and keep it, you know, didn't have, yeah. so they didn't have to keep going back and forth. Uh, but it's for, for such an audacious stunt, <laughs> I think it's pulled off pretty well. And yet sometimes you, you can kind of tell that it's dubbed, but it's, it's not, it, it, I've, I've heard worse dubbing in 2021. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's and the voice I think that they pick for Warren yes. is pretty good because it's not it's not this deep, you mm -hmm. know, <laughs> you know, right. deep like, you know, it doesn't sound like this behemoth of a male. It's like it would sound ridiculous if it was like that because of the slender frame. The, the voice actually matches that that frame pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I don't know. I I have to say, like, you know, if I wasn't looking for it, I know something was weird, but I don't think I would guess that. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that he looked kind of weird and part of it was like his mouth and that makes sense cuz they had that um dental prosthetic. Mm -hmm. But then also, I think what you had mentioned Vin where she still had this very like elegant upraised chin. Um mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the way she would like tilt her face and stuff. I was like, what's wrong? This guy's kind of weird. What's up with us? Kind of effeminate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it seemed yeah. like it didn't seem like just that though it did seem like kind of weird and off but i was like mm -hmm. i don't know who it is um and i didn't really notice the dubbing but there were a couple times where i thought maybe like the my tv was like glitching or the internet was glitching or something you know the lips didn't quite times. match up yeah <laughs> and i wasn't yeah. smart enough to figure out that it was a dubbing so then when the reveal <laughs> happens i'm like oh <laughs> but i think because they did have a different voice that probably helped throw me off actually mm-hmm yeah, and that was a lot of money that she offered that bellhop to marry her. Oh. Two grand back then? Two oh, grand. my God. That's a lot of money. Yeah. And then I was like, when when he came to pick her up at midnight and he's driving his car, I'm like, I don't know if bellhops really made that much money to be driving their own car. I don't know. Um, he does call it a heap, but it didn't look like a heap to me. It looked like a decent car. Um <laughs> Let's I think see. cars were cheap to get back then too. <laughs> I guess so. Whatever. Um, yeah, I I I really enjoyed this one. I, I thought I thought it was a really well made movie. Uh, it kept me guessing, uh, even though I figured out what I thought was going to be the twist. Like I couldn't say for sure. You know. Yeah. I didn't have it completely figured. I was like, oh yeah, for sure. Uh, and I didn't really know for sure until. Uh, Warren like walked into the house and then that freight mm -hmm. break thing came up. I was like, yeah, this is definitely, he's going in there and then she's going to go in after him and that's going to be it, you know? So, yep. But I, 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 I thoroughly enjoyed myself with this one. I, I think that she was creepy as Emily. Yeah, she, she was, was very like, creepy. Something, like when she tells awful. the old lady, mm -hmm. remember she like bends down her ear yeah, she's like Abrams like, died tonight. Died screaming. screaming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, she was definitely uh, definitely weird. There was something there was something off, and you I didn't know like what what was it what what was it that's off about her? Yeah, and what's Endgame? That was the yeah. hardest thing to figure out. What is it that she's trying to accomplish? Yeah, um, you know, she's destroying things and stealing things. You you can't quite tell what you know what her you know, what her motive is at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah, my, my one real dislike, I mean, I think, like I said, I think the middle is a little bit slow and the very end comes very abrupt. Um, Mm -hmm. but my biggest thing is like, how did Warren's sister like never notice? Like, did he wear fake teeth his whole life? Like, it's kind of weird that like she wouldn't have caught on to something. Um, but you know, I, I guess I don't know how long Warren was away. She was too busy reading the dictionary. Yeah, <laughs> writing the dictionary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For, for me, for dislikes, I just had two. And one was I didn't understand why Emily and Warren both seemed kind of, I mean, especially Emily, though, they both seemed kind of off and like nobody. I mean, they kind of acted like that they were, but at the same time, they just accepted it. And that kind of mm-hmm. bothered me. <laughs> that was the thing that just kind of made it the, it made the movie just kind of feel off for me a little bit as far as like the acting goes. I just felt like I was kind of living in two different worlds. But then the other thing was, um, didn't Warren kind of rat himself out as Emily? Cause wasn't he the one who had the newspaper with her drawing in it originally? And he pointed it out to Carl, the drugstore owner guy. Am yeah, I remembering he, that correctly? He, he wanted Emily to be accused. So that oh, after oh, all the murders are done, true. Emily would just disappear without a trace. Yeah. And that nobody is... would know wherever Emily was. So okay, he wanted it to be pinned on the Emily character, but. Yeah. Ah, well, thank yes. you. Very. It clever. is really, it is actually very well written. I like the, the concept behind it for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now here's a question. Isn't it pronounced homicidal? Because they kept saying homicidal. Oh, yeah. Did they? I was like, yes. I didn't even notice. I'm homicidal. And I'm, I don't know what this, what are they saying? That's not how Yeah, there, there are certain things that like, that we're used to saying. Uh, like I'm trying to remember, I think uh, when you watch um, uh, Invaders from Mars in the 1950s, they talk about mutants instead of mutants you know it's just like nobody ever said it out loud before (laughs) yeah it's like it's they've (laughs) never seen it written down like they've never actually had to say these things you know (laughs) there's no like agreed upon way to say it you know in the larger you know (laughs) it might it might be one of those things wasn't there something in like attack of the 50 foot woman or something there was another thing that they used to say that was kind of weird or no i I think they were just misusing a word never mind um But anyway, I always, I always think of mutants or like, you know, uh, one of my favorite, you know, because I'm a big Star Trek fan. That was in the 60s, too. But when Kirk says sabotage, <laughs> instead of sabotage, you know, <laughs> it's mm. just. <laughs> That's yeah. fun. Yeah. But I, I see how like this is um, this is uh, like um, his his attempt at a at a even though it had that fright break which i really don't think was necessary um but i think this was his attempt at like a a more um serious horror film yeah and generally too a lot of times these films were recut after like the first week Uh uh-huh so the first week you would have the gimmick because he couldn't he couldn't maintain that for like months or anything and then afterwards they were recut to have the gimmick taken out 
So there are probably cuts of this film where it doesn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything negative that I had about this. I mean, I didn't really have anything negative. I thought, I thought this one had the score that, you know, I, I guess there's a little bit here and there, like they, they, they have like a sweet kind of score underneath mm. that just doesn't match up. Uh, maybe that's just the way it was in the, in the fifties and sixties. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Upon yeah. watching more and more of these, I'm starting to think that that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think they could have made some of the, uh, the score a little bit more ominous. Um, Especially so many, when, so many films of this era have jazz scores, and that just yeah, doesn't it, usually fit with what we think of as like a horror atmosphere. Yeah, um, especially the last one we're going to talk about. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, but but this one, it it, it had, uh, uh, I'd say twenty five percent kind of weird music, and then the rest was was really good. So, um, um let's see. Do you think this is a do you think this is a psycho ripoff or an homage? What do you think? Well, I, I don't think it would have been made if it hadn't been for psycho. So, I mean, you know, uh, castle was very consciously following Hitchcock in a lot of ways. You know, mm-hmm. when he saw Hitchcock do something good, he kind of did his own version of it. Um, and I mean, he didn't do it maliciously and he would not have denied that he was doing it. He was absolutely forthright about it. So, I mean, you know, ripoff doesn't necessarily have to mean negative, you know, um, he's definitely going to do a lesser quality than mm-hmm. <laughs> than Hitchcock, and he's going to do it because it makes money. Uh, but you know, it's it's kind of part homage, part ripoff. Uh, but there's definitely a monetary, you know, um, yeah. yeah I, I don't think it's an innocent, you know, copying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, but I don't I mean I don't think this is necessarily that like. <laughs> that much less in quality. I mean, maybe the acting, the the level of actors they were able to get, mm-hmm. of course. I mean, there's no Anthony Perkins or uh, Janet Lee here, um, but I think well, everyone I mean, it's, it's Castle, everybody does, does fine. Castle does a great job. I think with the lighting of this movie, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it look, especially in the old house, it looks really good with the shadows and stuff like that, but he, he doesn't move a camera like, like Hitchcock does, you know, he doesn't, there's no no dynamic camera moves or, you know, or like the shot, like, you know, remember it's like when the guy's falling down the stairs and the camera's following him down, you know, you're not going to get anything like that in these kinds of films. Like he's very much like, you know, a workman, a workman director. He's a good director. I think, you know, he's not a great director. I think he's a good director. Uh, But you know, it's sometimes this stuff varies from like, it can be almost TV like, I think in 13 ghosts, it was kind of that way. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of had like a sitcom feel. You have like, you know, the state, the camera doesn't really move much. And, you know, <laughs> you're just kind of watching people. Uh, but, and then sometimes he'll surprise you and he'll have something kind of cool pop up. Um, yeah. But, you know, he's definitely not on the level of, of Hitchcock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He seems to want to kind of like appeal more to the masses. Whereas Hitchcock. Well, especially younger kind of audiences. Is... Right. Like, yeah, Hitchcock was making it. movie for adults. That's not what Castle was doing, you know, like, especially in the early 1960s, the people who were coming to his films were especially going to be like 12 year old devotees, 
you mm-hmm. know, like he wasn't trying to attract the 40 year olds and everything else, you know, or like he, he's getting like the young couples are on their date. Um, you know, that that's, those are the people who are flocking to the theaters to see his movies. They were events, you know, when a new film would come out and it was packed in with teens, especially, mm-hmm. um, which I, I think, I think the next one we're going to talk about, you kind of feel that audience more, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, he still delivered the goods, I think, um, for oh, that yeah. crowd. It's just like but, totally different. Yeah, it's it's different different mindsets. Different. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But Hitchcock didn't hate Castle. I mean, I th- he 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 respected him as like a businessman and everything else. Yeah, uh, I think if I could, I would make the version of this film without the fright meter, and I would watch that because that to me, and I, I think I would do that. Uh, if if I get this on Blu-ray or DVD, I'm going to rip it to my hard drive and I'm going to make my own Just edit it. <laughs> fright meter less because uh, it's because I think it didn't need it. That's just me. I don't. So that yeah. that's my that's my that's my biggest dislike. I didn't like that. I just thought it was a gimmick and I thought it was like it broke the tension. It was like right when the when the the climax was coming and like right. you know and I, just, you I just didn't i just didn't feel like that was even necessary but i understand it was william castle that was his thing mm-hmm. um so maybe he was afraid to to let the movie stand on its own he thought he needed that but anybody else have any dislikes no i already addressed mine yeah mm-hmm. i already talked about mine too all right. Well, let's go ahead and rate it. Uh, this one to me is a nine out of 10. Uh, I, I liked it a lot and, uh, I, I couldn't believe I had never seen it. <laughs> uh, this is, uh, this is one that I think people need to need to see. Uh, how about you, Vin? Uh, I'm at an eight. Um, mm-hmm. objectively, this is a better film than 13 ghosts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't see myself rewatching it a lot. You know, it's kind of a cool thing to check out, uh, to experience. Um, you know, I love that whole final set piece, but for me, it ends so abruptly with like this kind of bloodless gunshot, you know, it just kind of comes so quick. I wish that, that, that was just drawn out more, uh, for me. Um, but yeah, an eight, I think that it's, it's kind of a minor classic. I think, I think more people should see this and I don't think a lot of people have, um, but it's definitely worth checking out if people haven't seen it. And, you know, obviously if people have listened to this, they already know the twist. Yeah. <laughs> if they haven't seen it, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I'd love to hear if people go in blind, what they think about it. Yeah. I mean, you got, you get the trilogy, you got, you got psycho, you got homicidal and you got peeping Tom. Those are three, three good ones from, from the same era. So, all right. What about you, Jessica? Yeah, um, in concept and writing, I really liked it. Um, I, you know, I wasn't super thrilled with the acting altogether, and it did kind of make it just kind of a strange experience for me, I guess. Um, I don't think it's negative, though, and I hope you guys aren't disappointed with my rating, um, but I gave it a 7 out of 10, Mm -hmm. and I did really like it, and I love the ending, and I feel the same way as Vin, where I wish that that part of it had been drawn out a little more. Um, and that is what really pulled me back into it. Um, but yeah, there's just some sort of disconnect for me overall. And even though the ending and realizing what was happening made it all make sense, it still didn't improve like my experience, you know, throughout the watch. So, Mm -hmm. um, so I gave it a seven. All right. No, it's not a bad rating at all. 
not a bad rating at all. I don't think so either. But I just don't want to hurt feelings because you gave no. it a high rating. <laughs> no feelings hurt here. So, all right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to get into our last feature review of I Saw What You Did. And now meet the star of our show. Symbol of a treat that quality made famous. America's most famous ice cream treat. Eskimo pie. Creamy, delicious ice cream made even more exciting with smooth, rich chocolate coating. And wearing the label of quality known the world over. Eskimo pie. The treat you know is tops because it carries its pledge of quality right on the back of the bag. Be sure you save the bags for valuable premiums. Get famous Eskimo pie at our refreshment stand now. It's America's anytime taste treat. Finest ice cream, finest chocolate. It's delicious. Hey! They're ready, folks. For refreshment that is great. If it's early or it's late, it's Orange Crush, Orange Crush, the drink that's extra good. Fresh fruit flavor. That's for me. It tastes better. Naturally. Orange Crush, Orange Crush, get some right away. Visit our refreshment stand right away for delicious Orange Crush and all kinds of good things to eat. All right, we're back. And our last William Castle film of the night is I Saw What You Did, 1965, uh, one hour, 22 minutes long. Uh, This one, of course, directed by William Castle. It was written by William P. McGivern, uh, the screenplay, and it was based off a novel from Ursula Curtis. Um, This one stars, I would say briefly, Joan Joan Crawford. Right, I don't. I don't think she's got a real starring role here. Do you? No. Yeah, but she she's kind of really, like she seems really present in it. But I think I read she was only in it for like a total of nine minutes or something. Yeah, but she's the biggest name in here, so she gets kind of it was gimmick casting. Yeah, to top, it. top yeah. credit. Uh, John Ireland as Steve Merrick, Leif Erickson as Dave Mannering, Sarah Lane as Kit. Uh, Andy Garrett as Libby, Cheryl Locke as Tess. She was annoying. Uh, Patricia <laughs> Breslin as Ellie. Uh, John Archer as John Austin. John Crawford as the state trooper. There you go. That's about all you need to know. Um, let's see. What's a good uh, see synopsis here? A uh, Kit and her best friend Libby are two teenage girls bored while babysitting. To pass the time, they make prank phone calls, telling the person on the other end, I saw what you did, and I know who you are. It's all in good fun until they call a man who just murdered his wife and (laughs) buried her in the woods. Convinced they actually do know his secret, he becomes determined to find out who they are and silence them forever. There you go. Uh, so let's roll this trailer. When we get back, Vin's going to start us off with our first impressions. Don't answer it. Don't answer it. Don't answer it. Your name is in this book. It could happen to you. It starts as a game. 
and there's no end in fright. Go ahead. Close your eyes and pick a name. Pick a name? Any name. I saw what you did, and I know who you are. I saw what you did. I know who you are. <laughs> clicks, and the terror mounts. Don't answer it. See it. All right, we're back. Vin, first impressions. First time you saw this, right? Yeah, and uh, just kind of go over the gimmick here real quick. Um, he was originally going to use giant plastic phones, um, but then <laughs> the movie uh, kind of inspired a rash of prank phone calls. And complaints, so the telephone company uh, didn't allow him permission anymore <laughs> to mention <laughs> their telephones. Um, but uh, he ended up uh, p- putting the back rows of the theaters into shock sections where there were belts, seat belts installed to keep them from jolting out of their chairs. Um, yeah, pretty pretty corny stuff. Uh, and I guess there was actually a number that people could call locally, and it would save the line back to them, and they would almost like try and set up a, a date to meet them at the theater or something. It was, it was something really weird. Um, <laughs> But uh, <laughs> anyway, um, I had not seen this one before. Like I said, um, I had heard about it years ago and I was really intrigued by the concept. And it's a film I've been actually wanting to check out for a long time ever since. Um, I still think the concept is a good one. And the film plays out in an overall kind of believable way, uh, at least most of the parts. Um, but there are definitely some things that hold it back. And it seems to me like it's kind of the granddaddy of horror movies like Black Christmas and, you know, when Stranger Calls or Scream, the ones that use the phone as a centerpiece of horror. And this is kind of where I talk about the teen audience. Like, this feels like Hitchcock for teens, uh, not in quality, but in tension. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like there's a younger audience explicitly here uh, that we're seeing. And that might account for some of the, I think, odd choices that occur <laughs> in the film. Um, but, yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking overall. All right. How about you, Jessica? First impressions. Yeah. Um, overall, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I even like the kid actors, even Tess, who you say is annoying. I, I found her to be a believable, annoying child. Um, so I like that because sometimes you see kid actors and you're like, kids don't act like that. You act too smart and like all knowing. Um <laughs> But yeah, I really like the acting overall, and I agree with what Vin said, where it's like, some of these things seem kind of absurd, so they're not believable in that way, but the way that it's played out is mostly believable. So I was totally um, into the story the whole time and wondering exactly where it was going to go, and I kind of thought of it as like a very strange cautionary tale for kids who like to make prank phone calls. And I don't mm-hmm. think that that was probably the intention, but uh, I just thought it was kind of a funny way to look at it. Yeah. Uh, again, for, first time I've seen this, uh, really liked the plot. Like as soon as you told me that this was the film and I looked it up and whatever, I was really looking forward to, to watching this. And, and honestly, my first impression, I was a little, little disappointed um, because I think what I think is like this plot 
has so much potential and this, th- it lacks teeth. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, if this it, movie it, had been made just a few years later, yeah, I can imagine how different certain things might be. Yeah. Um, well, it, there is a made for TV remake in of the this 80s. from <laughs> 1988 that I watched parts of. It's not good. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, think of, um, there was a, uh, oh my gosh, what was that? Uh, there's a film maybe three or four years ago called Don't Hang Up. Remember that one? I, uh, have I don't know if I remember that. It's, it's a similar thing. <laughs> Teenagers making prank phone calls and they get stalked by serial killer or whatever. It didn't really work for me because in this day and age, it's almost impossible. Yeah. Color ID and Color everything else. ID yeah. and all that. <laughs> If it had been set in like the 80s or something, that would have been something different. Um, but that one has more violence and more teeth to it. Uh, I found this one to be just kind of non-threatening. You know, I never thought that these girls were in much danger. Um, even like when he finally shows up at the door, all she said, all she has to say is, you know, oh, it was just a big joke, and I don't know, you know. And he's like, okay, well, you better not do that stuff again. That's, and then he leaves. And it's only because he hears her on the phone, you know, uh, saying something about, you know, uh, that he comes back to try to get her. You, I, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, it yeah. was, he was just not menacing enough. The, the tone never gets completely because- menacing. Yeah, the tone, the tone. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, it's just, just a, it's like a, it's like a, a series of unfortunate events. You know what I mean? So that's kind of what does make it kind of believable for me, though. You know, wasn't th- that this guy was necessarily like already an evil, murdering person, but it's like this random prank call led to like the death of his wife or the murder of his wife. And then subsequently more murder happens, you know? And then when he finds out that it was just a prank call, he's like kind of relieved, you know? So that makes, that actually makes it kind of more believable for me was that it was just like, um, like a random act of murder that just kept escalating. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I don't, I don't know That, that, that was just my first impression. I just thought I'll probably go back and watch it again. Um, because, uh, I think it might be, maybe deserves another, another shot, but, um, yeah. yeah. Cause especially the, the ending, the, the final act is kind of underwhelming, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it doesn't have many teeth to it, like you said, um, which is, you know, you expect something because the murder in the shower is pretty good. Yeah, for yeah. 1965, like he's—it looks like he's actually trying to one up Hitchcock a little bit. Yeah, you know, like he's showing the stabbing, he shows the blood, and then he throws the actress right through a shower door. Yeah, um, that was the—that was the best part. That was—that was good. Yeah, so you think you're going to be up for something like really shocking as it goes, but you know, it, it never—it never reaches that level again. Yeah, in the movie, um, but yeah, it's one of the things I think this film does really well is. I think it actually portrays the naivety of like the teen girls pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, these are girls who only know a little bit about boys and a little bit about sex. 
and they make some dangerously foolish decisions. And mm-hmm. you know, they you've got Libby who thinks that she's ready for the adult world. Um, and she is clearly not. You know, mm-hmm. she is very quickly in over her head and she learns that the hard way. Um, and I've seen teens like this, you know, <laughs> I've seen girls who would go drive to some strange adult man's house in the middle of the night, you know, and make the ridiculous decisions. Like I'm going to preen myself. This guy's downstairs in the middle of the night in my living room. Let me make sure I fix my hair before I go down. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, you have this, the way that they're thinking and talking and the kind of decisions that they make, you know, like their frontal lobe isn't developed all the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that stuff, you know, they make stupid decisions, but it, it kind of felt real to me. Um, I believe that I, you know, like I said, I've I seen teenage girls that do that kind of stuff um, yeah. that would like actually get inside a stranger's car, even in these days, you know, just cause yeah. like the guy's handsome, like it's, you know, girls that would make really dangerous decisions. Um, you know, and even like the sister. Yeah. I mean, she might have been a little bit annoying, but I think she kind of acted like a little girl would act. Uh, yeah. But what's weird about this, their, this experience with them is that once again, they kind of feel like they're coming out of a sitcom, you know, like mm-hmm. I feel like these girls could have had a laugh track sometimes. Yeah. You know, yep. know, and it's like, it's like these two girls who are like having a sleepover on a sitcom kind of stumbled their way into a horror film. Um, which yeah. would work in its own weird way, yeah. But you know, I know that uh, it doesn't always work because I know, uh, Jessica, you would say something about this like at the end where they go from crying to laughing, oh, and happy music hey, starts yeah. playing, and there's just like a dead body in the back of the car. You're like, what the hell? Yeah. Like, the very last scene was probably my one really big dislike because she was yeah. like being choked. And she's crying. And you guys said the ending wasn't that effective for you. But for me, I was like terrified probably because they're just like little girls. Um, and they're home by themselves. I'm like, oh, my God, these poor kids just wanted yeah. to make some dumb prank phone calls. And now they're going to get choked out by this crazy guy. She's mm-hmm. sitting there crying in the car being choked to death. And then it's like they get saved and instantly they're like, oh. Reminds me of like, you know, like in, the, in, in 60s, like television. Where like there'd always be like like a minute long or less than a minute long like little thing at the end where like happy ending yeah the characters would kind of like make a little joke with each other and they'd kind of laugh and then the credits <laughs> would roll you know it felt like that Jeez, um, you really lucked out there didn't we yeah exactly. and then the laugh track goes and then the credits roll and you yeah. know it, it felt like that um, like I said you know even you know this is a year I mentioned Star Trek before but this is a year before Star Trek and Star Trek does that. Yeah. Where it's like Kirk, Bones, and you know Spock are like, you know, they'll have like a, a fun little like, you know, happy little joke at the end, and sometimes it's really out of place and it's weird. Uh, but that's just <laughs> the 1960s. And that's what it felt like. I'm like, oh, you know, we're we're entering TV land. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, for me personally, um, aside from that ending scene, um, I actually didn't have a problem with it throughout the movie. And I know you guys didn't like the the music, but for me, for some reason, I kind of like the experience of like we're with the girls and they are naive and they have no idea what's going on. And the music's a little happier and jauntier and they're, you know, in a sitcom. But then we go over to the Steve Merrick and his storyline and it's dark and the mm-hmm. music's, you know, scarier yeah. And it's a different tone. Um, and I can see how that would be discordant and not work. Well, I like that people, contrast. I, I thought I like that contrast. I thought the transition was weird at the end. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like <laughs> like I said, the last the very last like scene. I think it should have ended as a horror film, not as a sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least like 
hug the cop crying still or something. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. just like immediately start laughing and wa- walking off with your little sister who was almost just murdered. Because they actually do a really cool <laughs> bait and switch at that final scene. Yes. Where like, you know, she's in the car and you see her sister running towards a car and you see a hand reach her, her, her and grab her. Yeah. And you think it's the killer that now has her sister. But then the mm. killer comes out from the back seat and you're like, oh, that is actually a really cool bait and switch on the audience. Yes. Yeah. But then, of course, like just like in, you know, homicidal, like another character comes in and shoots the person and that's it and saves them. And, you know, I did, I kind of that's one of my biggest things. I wish that Libby fought back more and didn't just stand there calling for her sister. Like She doesn't even yeah. try to hide, you know, like she is just like standing in the doorway with her dog when mm. she knows that there's a murderer stalking. Um, I kind of wish that there was a little bit more of a cat and mouse between her and Steve, you know? Like, because that barn that got stuck all the time, the door, I'm like, oh, this is going to play a role somehow. Like, they're going to get the guy stuck in there or something. But it, it never comes to anything. Like, yeah. I thought the little girl was going to run to the barn and there was going to be some little set piece there, but that doesn't happen. So it's just, it's literally the girl runs out, Steve looks at her for, for a while. <laughs> and then, you know, then, then they're in the car and I'm like, oh. That's that's what I mean by like, underwhelming. I'm like, wow, you could have done way more with this with this ending here. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, and that was a nice uh, nice shot by the policeman through the back of the window. That's a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that looked pretty really good. I don't know how could he have even seen what was going on in there. Exactly. Well, I don't know how Kit's father got to the house with a police officer in time. I don't know because like they established that Libby lives out in the boonies. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it seems like it takes like 20 minutes for to go to from Kit's house to Libby's at least or something like that. But all, all right. of a sudden the father's there with a police officer and it seems like, like five minutes have gone by. Um, yeah. So that's why yeah, I, th- I, th- we, I think that whole thing should have been longer with Steve, you know, chasing after. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, totally. But yeah, because I think she had told her dad like right after they got off the phone or whatever, you know. So, yeah, but, like right she immediately calls the cops and that's when he starts attacking. Right. Yeah. And the, I think Steve, uh, the dad, his, his like facial expressions and his like the way he is reacting when he's talking to the cop at the end after the, it is it, just kind of like, yeah, these kids, they, they're just getting, you know, I, like if I was the dad, I'd be like beside myself. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It just, I know. It just seemed a little bit like unrealistic to me. Um, the beaver got know. himself doing another mess. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> kids these days, yeah, and all these murders. Now, how how did he? I, I, maybe I was just uh, not paying attention as much as I should have been. But how did he trace the call back to them? It was uh, he didn't. It was the registration, registration of the car. That, um, registration of the car. Because Joan, Joan Crawford, Crawford tore off the registration from the yeah. car. And he followed the, the address for the registration. Okay. Because uh, apparently uh, so, it used to just be taped on top of the steering wheel. <laughs> it was like a laminated tag or something like that. Or yeah. It was there. Yeah. Anyway. It was... It, it, it was I, I, I'm not going to say that I didn't, I didn't like the movie. I thought it, it had, it had uh, potential. Yeah. I um, liked it overall. Yeah. I, I still enjoyed it, but I just, it, I got, I got to look and say, Hey, 1965, they weren't ready for, you know, uh, making it more, um, more menacing. 
Yeah, so. we're still three years away from like Night of the Living Dead and Rosemary's Baby and yeah. you know, uh some that would have been much more serious. And like I said, you can kind of tell from the musical cues that this is kind of a horror film for a younger audience. Yeah. Um, you know, the the shower thing is pretty risque, but for the most part, this is something that it seems like teens would have been going to. Um you know, and you had this is kind of a dislike for me, but the young actresses were pretty inexperienced, and you can tell. Uh-huh. Um, you know, Andy Garrett, I guess played Libby. She has these very exaggerated reactions. Um, you know, not natural. She has very expressive eyes, which you know the camera mm-hmm. likes her. Uh, but there's actually a couple of times when she looks into the camera, <laughs> like yeah. when the corner of the stairs, you can see her look at the camera, and uh, you know, and like when the little girl's hiding. From Steve, she just like looks right into the camera. <laughs> so it's just kind of like, uh, you know, it's, it's like sweet, don't don't look there. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're ruining the, uh, you know. Yeah, that was the, the blonde, the blonde girl, right? Uh, no, no, the brunette, the brunette girl. Okay. Yeah, the the daughter Libby. She she looks at like when they're going up the stairs at one point with her and her friend, uh, with her sister. You can see her look at the camera, and um, <laughs> and like her little her little sister looks at the camera towards the end when she's hiding. Uh, so it was just kind of like, uh, yeah, you know, I was like, was that the best take? Yeah. <laughs> but I, uh, I will definitely give this movie props for that, uh, shower scene and, and the, the woman being thrown through the shower door. That was, yeah, that was a little bit of a shock. I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> I was that like, all right. Hard, yeah. Oh, and then also when Steve's looking for the little girl out in the woods mm-hmm. and she's like right by his feet hiding. Yeah. You can see Steve actually look down at one point and like so he doesn't step on her <laughs> yeah. and like pretend like he doesn't see her and keep looking. Yeah. <laughs> so oh my god, that's so funny! It's just it, you know I was kind of like oh that was kind of taking me out of it. Yeah. Now, how about um, the beginning where they're on the phone and it's like two eyes looking <laughs> at him? That that was yeah. pretty. That was pretty interesting. Reminded me of Halloween a little bit. Yeah, like very yeah, kind of voyeur. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of threw me off, you know, because it's called I Saw What You Did. Mm-hmm. And it's just these girls talking on the phone and then they have the little peepholes. And I'm like, what is the, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know if, uh, you know, someone was already watching them or, or what, but it was just like a, a little gimmick. And when you see the little girl going to the to the house at the beginning, pulling her wagon... Is that a matte painting? Yeah. It has yeah, they're to all be. Matte paint. It is. <laughs> yeah. I, I, was like, I love the matte paintings. I didn't see it on a big enough screen. I couldn't tell. Oh, yeah. It, <laughs> all of the, the surrounding shots of the, uh, the countryside and the house and all that. Yeah, it was all matte paintings. I was like, yeah. Because the, the copy I have is a really nice, uh, you know, it, it looks like it's uh, like 4K. I guess they've restored oh. this or something. Is this Screen Factory that released this? Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, when, when you when you look at it in such high def, those those kind of matte paintings are easy to pick. Which out. we but, should say for people who want to see this, this is not actually streaming on services. No. Um, if you don't have a physical copy, you might have to pirate. <laughs> yeah, this is not um, actually. This is not actually uh, that well known at all. No, uh, a lot of his films are not distributed as much as you think they'd be. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. But, but I think it's worth a watch. I mean, just to see kind of like, you know, like you said, the, the beginnings, uh, of, of stuff like, you know, black Christmas and, and, uh, mm-hmm. when a stranger calls and, you know, all that, that stuff that, you know, they, they weren't gonna, they weren't gonna go there in, in this kind of movie in 1965, but you can see it's set in the stage for those movies to come. So, uh, I give it its props for that. And I also do believe when, um, he's killing the lady in the shower and he's supposed to be naked. I think I see his, um, um, little speedos that he had on. <laughs> I, think there was a little, I think there was a little editing issue there. Oh, I did yeah. not notice that. <laughs> yeah. I could be wrong, but I'm, I was almost positive. I saw speedos. Well, you have a good copy apparently. Oh yes. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there was any, uh, the other dislikes, my, my biggest dislike, I think this movie could have been much more menacing, uh, even just with a better score. You know, I just felt mm-hmm. like, I just felt like it did not match. Yeah. Uh, I'd say 80% of the time it didn't match. <laughs> you know, somebody's chasing somebody. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, what is that? <laughs> oh gosh. But, this has I, a couple incredibly blatant names for this. Um, I mentioned it before, but this is the movie I was talking about where like at one point they prank called John Adams. <laughs> and uh, the first one they prank call is William Harrison. So I'm guessing his middle name was Henry. Uh, nice. That's the president that died within like 30 days of office and pneumonia after giving a really long speech. Oh, um, so, you know, it, it's just <laughs> whatever book he happens to have, I guess on his desk is <laughs> <laughs> who he's naming the people after. And, uh, and Joan Crawford, from what I understand, she, she wore her own wardrobe. Um, so like that ridiculously large pearl necklace (laughs) that she wears, that looks like it weighs like 20 pounds. Um, (laughs) that's all hers. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I can imagine. It's funny. I know that she's probably doing a good job at being who she's supposed to be, but I think she gave me the most anxiety in the movie. I was like, she's 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 intimidating. Yeah. Like if somebody was, somebody was on me on my case like that i would no i cannot <laughs> i will say you know we we had talked last year i think about uh when we did the hundred gems right yeah. um we talked about straight jacket which she had made with william castle the year before this mm-hmm. and she's really good in that yeah uh like surprisingly really good in straight jacket um so if you want to see her act exceptionally in a William Castle film, watch that one. That's a better movie than this too. Um, this was just stunt casting, and he probably had her for like a day. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously she did a good job at making me feel uncomfortable. So I don't think her acting was bad. <laughs> they had a good working relationship. After they made Straight Jacket, she actually toured with the movie, and uh, she promoted the hell out of it. He, he talks about her very highly in the book. He says that she was a complete professional, um, and she did this as a personal favor to him. Uh, because he was casting unknowns as his leads. He needed, he needed somebody with a name. And yeah. so she agreed to do it as a favor. Yeah. That makes sense. That's cool. I really want to read his book now. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else we want to say about this one? No, I covered it. <laughs> Whatever I wanted to say. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and rate it. Uh, Vin. Uh, I'm like a 6.5. Um, I think it's worth seeing. 
mm-hmm. it's not one that I'm going to keep returning to. I think there's some cool things there. I think the concept is awesome. Uh, I'd love to see a remake of this that's modern, but that takes place in the 60s. Yeah. You know, um, I think that would be cool. Uh, you know, get rid of all the modern technology, but just, you know, have a real cat and mouse game. And um, mm-hmm. the, there is there is so much potential here uh, that, you know, I, I, I don't want to I don't want to squander that potential by <laughs> dismissing it at all. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, 6.5. It's worth it's worth seeing. It's worth checking out. Uh, but I'm not going to keep returning to it. Okay. How about you, Jessica? Yeah, I actually also gave it a 6.5. I liked it, and to be honest, I was probably a little more entertained by it than um, Homicidal. But, you know, for the reasons that we've stated, we clearly had more dislikes with this one. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just those those little things that kind of put it a little under for me. Um, But I I did like it, and I actually enjoyed the... The young actresses and their overacting, but that's kind of like something that I thrive on. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm. A, I enjoyed it. I thought the the black and white photography was really good. Uh, I, th- I thought that the um, the house, the inside of the house, yeah, uh, where the, that it was cool excellent. Set. That was a nice set. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's campy. It's dated, but but it was entertaining idea was very good i gave it uh, a 6.5 uh, as well and wow. i would really enjoy seeing this like vin said remade uh not the 80s made for tv one but um you know definitely has a lot of potential uh and it, I, I say all three of these movies that we talked about tonight need, need a watch now i think i would i would recommend watching all three of them so i agree yep yeah all right well there you go it is time for us to put our speakers down and drive out of the horror cast drive-in for for another summer what do you know what do you know (laughs) so uh vin why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet um, Facebook, I'm Vin Horrorcast. You can find me on the Horrorcast group page. Uh, the horror blog is TheRevenantReview.com. And on YouTube, I'm Revenant Reads. All right. How about you, Jessica? On Instagram, I'm Amateur underscore Destroyer underscore. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Amateur Destroyer. On Facebook, I'm just Jessica Schmidt. And on Letterboxd, I'm Ashy underscore Slashy. All right. Well, if you want to email us, you can do so at askthehorrorcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at the HCast and on Instagram at the Horrorcast. And also on TikTok at the Horrorcast. So until next summer, summer 2022, we're leaving the Horrorcast drive-in. And uh, it's been a fun summer. Guys, get ready for fall because we've got a great fall uh, lineup ready for you. We're going to be going... Uh, Talking about uh, Wes Craven a lot in the fall. Didn't we say Cra- Cravember? Mm-hmm. That's right. Cravember. We're going to talking about the uh, movies of uh, Wes Craven, uh, but we're 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 setting aside December for a special, a Nightmare Before Christmas, which is all of Craven's, um, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street films. And then uh, we're also going to be doing, uh, in October, we're going to be doing What's in the Box, which is 
made for TV horror. So I'm looking uh, forward to that excited. So, uh, cause I love me some made for TV horror. There's some really good stuff out there. So um, looking forward to it, but that's it for this episode of the horror cast where it's all killer, no filler. Stay scared. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. Monsters and maniacs. Creatures and ghosts. What type of 